Tom, thank you very much uh, for taking the time to come in and see me today on Culture Corner, where I speak to leaders in tech about how they create strong cultures and high-performing teams. So it's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be here. No problem, no problem at all. Obviously, we've known each other for a while, um, so I, I know all about you and, and BJSS, but for anybody listening that doesn't know you, if you just give a bit of an overview of who you are, what you do, team sizes, business units, that kind of thing. Sure, yeah. So, uh, Tom Pomfret, I'm the head of delivery at BGSS in Leeds. Um, BGSS is a tech consultancy, uh, so we deliver lots of different services in that kind of tech consultancy space. Headquartered in Leeds, so we were founded here about 30 years ago, but we've grown from our Leeds base into about 19 offices in the UK, 26 worldwide, so uh, very big organization, well, relatively big organization now, <laughs> but very proudly headquartered uh, and founded by two folks in in Leeds back uh, 30 years ago. I, as part of my team in, in Leeds, we have a team of seven of us that, that run our, our office uh, here and looking after everything we, we deliver, all of our people, everything we, we do kind of at Leeds, basically. Okay, perfect. Thanks very much, Tom. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, first of all, um, is culture. You think about building strong cultures, so there's a, there's a sort of clear vision, purpose, shared values, that kind of thing. Is that very much um, present at BGSS? What, what's, the, what's the culture like at BGSS? As you say, it's quite a large consultancy, so. Yeah, so we, we were founded by two people who are very much practitioners of what they did, and, and that practitioner-led culture has always been really core to what we do. We, we've got three goals, values, however you want to kind of phrase them, yeah. um, which are, you know, be a great place to work, deliver high quality services and grow sustain in a sustainable way. And they've sort of stood the test of time. They're very, very simple. A lot goes into that, but we've kind of always based ourselves on sort of do a good job. Yeah. Be, be really great at what we do, build great relationships and, and grow from there, take a lot of pride in what we do. And that really comes right from those, those two founders. They were sort of number one and number two project manager and, and developer effectively. And they went, right, we think we can do this better. We think we can do yeah. consultancy in a, in a better way. And times have changed, tech changed, but that culture of doing a really great job, being proud of what we deliver, doing the right thing rather than just what's most profitable, yeah, you know, yeah, it builds great yeah, relationships. And definitely. some of our client relationships are now 30 years strong because of that, wow. because we've, we've always had that really long-term view and wanting to do the right thing by our clients and our people. Perfect, perfect. And is that because, we touched on it then, because they're a global organization now, isn't it? Obviously lots of offices across the UK is, is a culture something that the senior leadership uh, are very much focused on as as part of your role? You mentioned the, um, the the three values there. Obviously, they continually cascaded through the business. Is part of your remit really to to focus on growing the culture and and, and I suppose it's not just establishing it, growing it, and evolving it because it can be difficult in a business that size, can't it? Absolutely, and retaining it, you know, it's a really important thing. I think we are a company who wants to still have that simplicity of a culture of a fifty-person company, but obviously yeah. scale that when you're talking about lots of different offices. So we put an awful lot of work into how do we get that balance of autonomy and giving local offices and local yeah. leadership that autonomy to really look after their people, do what's right for their clients locally, etc. but also make the best of that scale and, and, and reuse and, and the expertise we've got across the business. So I think the ongoing thing we're trying to manage is, is getting that balance right of autonomy and empowerment and making sure people feel part of, of their local office and the great culture they have there. But that culture 
forms a bigger part of that organization and how and how that works and, and that's not easy when you get to you know two thousand to three thousand people yeah exactly exactly i know a little bit about bgss and quite often there's some sort of inter inter office projects isn't it that's the way of yeah. best way of describing it do you think also that'll help with the with, with training with retaining that culture and having consistency across the business yeah definitely it's um you, you get a bit of the best of both worlds and that's actually really changed over over covid really because we tended to try and prime projects principally from a given office because right there's definitely value in team building, getting teams co-located, working together day in, day out. But actually by doing that, you limit yourself to the skill set you have in that location. Yeah. Suddenly we'll work remotely and location didn't matter so much. We we're able to build the teams of the best possible skill set, best possible people. And obviously skill sets, not just technical skill sets, team balance, how you build a really great uh, team that can work together. And you suddenly had 2000 so folks to look at to build that team <laughs> rather than 400 folks to look at that that's been a really positive thing now coming out of covid you're trying to get what's that great balance between best possible skill set and best possible people to form a team versus still having some of that co-location and knowing people as individuals and humans so that you form a, a great bond as a team that isn't just sat behind a, a screen all day and, and or not a zoom call so that's an interesting balance we've been trying to strike as we come out of that pandemic world into into sort of new normal or whatever horrible phrase you want to use <laughs> to describe it. Yeah. yeah, it changes on a daily basis, doesn't it? There's the, there's the phrase for that. So if you take the <clears throat> we're talking about sort of values, purpose for for a culture, you spun up lots and lots of teams uh, over, over your time in in tech. If you're if you're building a high performing team, part of the, part of the podcast. And you're putting sort of putting a team together. Is it important to say to, to outline to the team this is this is the purpose of this project. This is the the, the the value it's going to generate. You know, this is what you're going to be delivering. Some specific goals. It is. I think there's there's lots and lots of things that go into building any given team. Um, having a shared understanding of what you're trying to achieve is, is is crucial. I'm amazed the number of times I have a conversation about teams and saying, no, we need a we need a platform engineer and we need a developer. What are you trying to achieve? Or well, we don't quite know. Well, how can you possibly know you need a one of these and all of these then? So I think that is a really important thing. So there's obviously a, a value and culture part, but they're just literally fundamentally, what are you trying to do? Yeah. Because a team having that shared purpose and goal and going, this is what we're trying to achieve, ultimately sets them up for success. So, you know, we, we, it's really important for us working with our clients that we're giving them the best possible value to do that. We really need to understand what is it you're trying to achieve? What is it the problem you're trying to solve or the innovation you're trying to drive forward? And then our team is best shaped to then try and achieve that ultimately. Around that. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And as a, le as a leader within the team, I suppose it's your it's your job to, to drive the behaviors and to you know you, you need your team to, to to trust you um how do you if you're spinning up a team how do you how do you build that trust i know there's going to be some people that have worked with you for for a long time know who mm. you are but if you're bringing new people into the business how do you create that sort of sense of belonging in your t in the team and, and and develop the trust yeah i think that's really driven through the teams right. so <clears throat> you've got to build a team the uh and give them the tools they need to work as a team you know absolutely as a leadership team we will be there to support and help and do those things but first and foremost that comes down to have you built the right team with the right people and the right balance and some of that is skill set what skills do we need to to deliver whatever we're trying to deliver but there's also 
is that team well matched from a human perspective? You know, have you got different personality types that have mixed well? Have you got a, a rounded team in terms of seniority and experience? And we've talked about previously, you know, sometimes you get a team that's really well formed and it finishes and it moves over here and starts a new project. And you think, brilliant, great, I don't have to go through any of that storming phase and everything's just going to work perfectly. But then you might need to add new people to that team and all of a sudden you've got a problem because you've got a clique here that all worked together before and you've got new people who can feel like a real outsider on the side of that. So you've got to make sure that team understands they have a responsibility to bring those people in and to make them feel welcome, make them feel like they can bring their, their whole selves to, to their job and, and they're part of that team. So, but we always try and drive that through the, the team doing that and the right people in the team driving that behavior rather than it being a leadership responsibility or you know, an oversight thing. Right, okay. And you find that that's more successful, I suppose it's more successful, isn't it? Having a group, a group driving that. People hate being told what to do. <laughs> yeah. People like to be in charge of doing and then yeah. being responsible for their own destiny. So I think if you can empower people to to have those conversations and go, I know, I know you want this to be a success. How are you going to make sure everyone who's part of this team feels like they can be part of it? It's you know, far more compelling for an individual than it yeah. is to be told, go be nice to people. You know? <laughs> yeah, so I think, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, take them on that journey rather than telling them what to do. You mentioned the storming phase obviously creates creating a conflict the forming the, the, the storming how do you deal with how do you deal with conflict mm. it's it's something that i'm not not great at uh, and, and tend yeah. to shy away from but with your experiences have you got any tricks of the trade as to how to navigate that <laughs> yeah so I mean, a lot of people talk about the concept of psychological safety um so i think it's really important that there's that that's really a feedback loop so if people come to you and need support or there's concerns and while you're going through that phase, how you respond to that and support them, ultimately, if you support them well, they'll feel like they have the trust and safety to, to bring those things up to you again. So I think early on it's about making sure that that team knows that as a leadership team, but also within the team, that the support is there uh, and you, you provide that environment where people feel comfortable bringing things up. I am a really big believer though in solving things as close to the problem as possible. So I often get things escalated to me and I'll say, well, have you, had a, have you spoken to the living manager? Have you spoken to the person that you're, you're finding it difficult to work with? And, well, no, I haven't. Well, I think, you know, that encouraging that conversation yeah. and making sure that's happened. And 99 times out of 100, you have that conversation, the person goes, oh man, I didn't know you felt that way. I'm really sorry. And actually having directly, while well, no one enjoys those conversations, they really do it tend to lead to a really good uh, response and, and, and drives the team forward much better than someone having to get involved externally. So I, I'm really encouraging that storming phase, open honesty, and you can do that through creating opportunities and creating ceremonies or situations where you can have right. that. So okay. yeah, great example in Agile would be retrospective. Your retrospective, you know, if they're working well, which you should have that psychological safety where you feel like it's not saying, and in the retro, I wish, you know, Bill was not as mean to me, but it's kind of going, actually, I found this really challenging. How do we as a team work on that and improve that as you go through that storming phase? So yeah, I think that there's lots of different pieces that all sort of nudge that in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. I think you hit on it then, creating an environment um, where you, there is a good culture, where there's psycholog psychological safety. So that person's got a voice, they feel confident that they can bring it up, they can share their concerns, mm. can't they? And obviously the, the, another great point you made, your reaction to it, it it's got to be spot on, hasn't it? Mm. Otherwise people aren't, aren't coming to you in future and it's, that's just going to 
generate issues further down the line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So which is which is perfect. I suppose one of the things I wanted to wanted to ask is um, around collaboration as well. Obviously, you're a tech you're a tech organisation. Collaboration's key. We've had uh, COVID, and now we've got. We're not sure what hybrid is. Um, how's how do you ensure collaboration amongst your uh, amongst your team and and yeah, lots of ways. Uh, and COVID, in many respects, has taught us that it doesn't have to all be face to face. So I think we, we do try and make sure there's some face to face contact. I think once you've met somebody in person, they're just more of a human to yeah. you, and you you might have some more. Um, ad hoc conversation which isn't just about work whereas kind of going let's schedule 30 minutes to, to find out if you also like this thing I like so we've got something in common you don't really do it on Zoom no. whereas you know, in person you get more of those conversations and we've found those teams that understand each other as humans just are that much more um, willing to raise concerns and much more willing to go and ask for help You know, much more willing to work together in that way so there is a degree of how do you get some of that face-to-face -face time because I think it is really important from a team building and, and on, an ongoing perspective as well. But equally, not having to get everyone traipsed two hours on a train or whatever it is to be together to run your sprint ceremonies or to do whatever you need to do, we've got an amazing set of tools now that help us with that right. and we're all used to using them because we've had to get used to using them. So I think getting that combination of people who foster a collaborative environment and a tool set and a willingness to go and see each other and, and understand the wider human rather than just that person is a developer as part of my team. Yeah. I think in combination all three of those things can be really helpful. Yeah, I think from speaking to people over the last probably 12 months, that's a lot, a lot what a lot of business struggle with that, don't they? They say, right, you know, how can we get that collaboration? How can we start building, build, I think it's all about building relationships, isn't mm -hmm. it? Understanding the individual on a personal level, not a transactional process. Mm -hmm. If you're on Zoom, it's one Zoom meeting to the next, to the next, to the next, and you, there's no real time in between, or like you said, putting something in a diary to, to, to force that conversation, which is not natural. Yeah. So do you get people in at the beginning of projects or, or over a set period of time, do you, you get, people together for a designated per, uh, period of time? We've, we've sort of um, stuck to one premise throughout that sort of evolution out of COVID, which right. is get people together for the right reasons. Right, yeah. yeah. So we, we've seen other companies be like, this is your mandated time together. And again, people don't like being told what to do generally. Um, but also it's like, we have people like you say, from lots of different offices that might work on a project. If you're in, an office where most people are in Leeds and you are in Exeter, you going and sitting in an office on your own in Exeter doesn't really add a lot of value. So it's what, how do we get people together for really good reasons where we don't need to convince them because they're going great. I want to go to that because that's a really good, good use of my time and I feel like I'll get value out of it. So how do you create those situations where people feel like it's a really great thing to collaborate face to face and get together? It's, that's how we've approached it rather than mandating anything per se. Yeah, it's a good idea that it is a very good idea. You're getting people to to buy into that, aren't you? Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a lot of business where you see it on all the time in the news and on social media, don't there's a lot of businesses now mandating X number of days in the office for people. Um, I've just spoke to a, a, a client this morning who said four days a week back in site for, for all their permits. Mm -hmm. Contractors don't have to be, but, but, but permits four days a week on site, which is rock the boat. Because mm -hmm. um, a lot of the time you're getting people coming to the office and they're just sitting next to each other on Zoom calls to, 
to, to someone else, aren't they? That's it. And there's some industries where actually that might be the right thing because that f- it, it is better to do that job in person. So I wouldn't sit there and go, that's a terrible idea for everybody. But it's, like I say, there's got to be a reason. If you just sat on the same Zoom calls, you could be sat on at home and aren't getting any of the benefits of being in that office that you want to achieve. All you're doing is frustrating people because they've got a, load, yeah. a bunch of wasted time in, in, the, in their commute or wherever it might be. So it's how do you make it so that people understand the value of, of what they're there for and where we have had people come in typically they come back in again because they went oh yeah I didn't really think there was much point because I can just do my job at home yeah. and then I went in for a day and I really enjoyed it and I got to see all those people I haven't seen for ages and and it, yeah. then it's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy because people see the value in doing it or they don't and they'll come in for the for the, the sort of limited number of reasons that, that it makes sense to but yeah we've got lots of people who come into the office because they like being in the office <laughs> and we've got some who come in for specific ceremonies etc yeah yeah and it works it sounds like you've got it you've got it down to a t i would not say down to a t but you know <laughs> we're, we're still exploring that it's an evolving picture for sure but we, we've just tried to make sure that we we question the value at every point you know what are, why are we making decisions we're making is it in the interest of balancing our people versus making sure we're delivering for our clients and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, the flexibility and being agile around it rather than just a, a rigid yeah. process, really. Yeah, completely. One thing I was going to ask, when you're forming when you're forming your teams, I know you've got a, a, an idea of the, the types of individual and behaviours to, to, to go into the team. How, how important is it having as I said, that one person or a couple of people in a team that, that will that will challenge that have um, yeah, I suppose it will, it, will, it will challenge the status quo and they will, will throw up alternative ideas. Um, it's a balance, absolutely. Yeah. And I've, I've built teams for projects where you think that is every single person I would have picked given my choice. You know, it's my absolute superstar in every single role, what can go wrong? And then you realise actually you put too many of those superstars in one team, they all argue like Billio because yeah. they're used to being the person that challenges and has all the ideas or takes the lead. Um, and, and actually the team dynamic is just all wrong, even though on paper it's the absolute best team you could ever imagine. And I've had teams where you think, oh God, I haven't quite got the balance I want or enough of this skill set or whatever it might be, but because the team just gels so brilliantly, it doesn't matter. They just yeah. get on, they know when to pull in help when they need it, there's no conflict. And, and a team you think, oh, I was a bit unsure, I was worried I was gonna have to provide extra support, absolutely smash it out of the park. So. Yeah. That I'm always surprised with team dynamics <laughs> and team building. That I wish I knew the answer. Even I've been doing it for probably seven years in BGSS, but there's still teams I think would be perfect that aren't, and teams that I'm concerned aren't as good as I'd like them to be in terms of experience or whatever it might be. And and the, the people dynamics mean it really works. And I think balance is is ultimately the the key. So there's a few different personality types I've seen quite consistently that are big important parts of teams so you've got that challenger the person that challenges make sure we're innovating not just settling uh there's one i always refer to as the snow plow that's the one that just drives the head of the team and pushes all of those blockers and things yeah, out of the way yeah. and allows that nice clean road for the for the team to, to follow and that's not about wrapping the team in cotton wool. i don't like that idea people talk about protecting the team sometimes that can be really counterproductive because the team need to understand the challenges that that you have um, but doing that in a really constructive way where that doesn't become their problem, they're just yeah. informed, but you're there to sort of push all those problems out of the way so they can, you know, get on with, with doing their job is important. 
Um, the doers are the sort of unsung heroes of all team. I think you need people that are yeah. great at cracking on and getting stuff done and they're much underappreciated under in life, I think, the doers. So people who are really great and understand this is what we need to get done and, and that's what I want to focus on. Um, and then the other one, which is an interesting one, is the organisers. And I think that's a hard role because you can be a really officious micromanager organiser and that the team don't want to be organised in that way yeah. or you can be one of those people who's really great at just nudging and pushing and, and directing and it's sort of often that sort of scrum master delivery manager or BA yeah. or it could be like a tech lead role where you're just how are you making sure the team are just kept focused on the things that are highest priority how are you ensuring that things are there and they're often the people that do the little things that make a big difference so like they're the one that buy the advent calendar for the team yeah, they're the one that do the little yeah, things that yeah, just keep yeah. that team you know happy and feel like a little bit there's a bit more to it than just getting on with your day job so there's there's loads more there's lots of books written on the subject but i think <laughs> for me there's some of the things i've seen when you look at that team that worked really well why was it you see some of those personality types consistently is that um, the organiser? It sounds like a really key role, but not one that everyone can can do. Is it yeah. the, the real personable individual? Then is it the real is, understands that team dynamics or individual yeah. dynamics? It's a really difficult combination of skills because you're asking for someone who's hugely empathetic yeah. and really understands people and is really detail focused <laughs> and remember stuff and really good at organising. And if you look at most of those sort of personality you know, uh, my pretty type things, yeah. they tend to be not in the same person. No. Yeah. So if you can find yourself a person that is both of those things, then hold on to them <laughs> because they, they, they're a massive, massive uh, productivity boost to most teams. Yeah, lock them down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to scroll back when we were talking a little bit about teams before and you mentioned the, um, again, the, the, the storming, then you go the norm and the performing, but you talked about moving a team from one project to the next and you just think perfect drag and drop are our teams so finely balanced that you move them onto something else and you've almost got to start the the form in the storm and you, you start that process again really variable is you it? know we, we, i've had probably one example where a team literally got asked to do basically the same problem for another client and you pretty much went straight through to performing you know right like, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, with literally <clears throat> the same client they'd gone to a different company I want one of those again. <laughs> it's about as close as you're going to get. But even though there was a different problem domain, all those things, because all those relationships and the trust was there and they built a fantastic way of working, they went, well, we're not changing that. That really, really works. Um, and that was one of those teams where actually what was challenging was when they wanted to scale, how do you add people into a really well-formed team? Yeah. Um, and that, yeah. that was the challenge there. Um, but sometimes you think it's the same problem, actually. Technically, it might be, but the politics or the delivery environment or lots of other things are different. So I think sometimes you think you're going to skip that, but you don't. And actually, you can have the opposite effect where they're used to being in this performing mode. So it's really frustrating to take that step back. And then uh, that can be quite frustrating for a team because they're used to just getting on with it, but they're having to stop and think and, and, and do something differently. So taking that step backwards can be quite frustrating if you're used to working in a really a performing team. Right. Is that where you've got to get, I know you like, I'm getting from you, you like as a leader to see the team, to, to team move through it yourself. The, those, when it scales back like that, are there sometimes you have to get involved just to help and, and yeah. direct it. 
Yeah, it's definitely, it's not like directing it, it's just how, how do you, sometimes it's really good to have a third party yeah. just coming into the conversation. And, you know, we have lots of different kind of ways of wrapping around our people and teams to make sure they've got support. So we have a sort of squad structure that gives you pastoral support. So if there's things impacting you outside of work that you're really concerned about, you've got, yeah. you know, you've got a way to raise that in a safe way. But equally, if there's things on project that are more pastoral, you can raise those. We've got a delivery oversight structure as well, which are there, you know, they'll, they'll have relationships with maybe with more senior people in the organisation right. you're working with. So if there are problems and you're struggling with your direct stakeholders, they can go and help there. So, but again, like that, the psychological safety thing we talked about, what's that feedback loop? And people need to know if they come to the leadership team, they're going to get a really supportive response. They're not going to get told off or shouted about because this isn't going as well as we would have hoped or whatever. So I think... I like to make sure teams are empowered to solve their own problems, but ultimately they know that we're there and we will be supportive and give them as much help as they need if they can't solve their problems themselves. So I think that it's a balance of those two things. Balancing act. Yeah. And this sounds like something that's evolved over the years. You know, you've got so much in place from what you were saying to, to support people, to you know, all the different angles covered for the collaboration, the agile around collaboration, hybrid. I think it's just, it sounds like it's just continually evolving at, at BGSS. Yeah, and challenging yourselves, you know, is really important. I'm very, very lucky. My my team in Leeds is they're just brilliant. You know, that I've been working with them for for about well, I've been working with them for a long time. But as a team, we've been together for about three years, and there's just no messing around. We all know each other so well. We don't beat around the bush. You know, we're, we're very direct with each other. We challenge each other, and we'll sit down as a team, you know, frequently and go right. Let's look at that thing. Are we comfortable? Even though it feels like it's working. Do we want to innovate? Do we want to do more? And like we were talking about different personalities, and there's a lot. There's doers because I think I'm a bit guilty of loving people that are doers and get stuff done. <laughs> but there's other people who are really that innovative thinker, and they'll sit back and go, "Actually, why don't we look at this in a totally different way?" Um, getting that balance and having that really great mutual respect, so we won't go, "That'd be ridiculous." Let's get on with it. We go, "Oh yeah, that's let's think let's think through that idea. Let's understand how we would put that into practice." You know, the, it's great having a team where you don't have to kind of go, well, I'm wondering if I'm going to offend that person. How do I yeah, pitch yeah. this thing to them? You can just come straight out with it. And, <laughs> and if they're upset by it, they'll tell me, <laughs> you know, and, and vice versa. And, you know, go, go. it just makes everything that much more efficient and the, the team feel great about it because you can get stuff done. Yeah. So, um, so I think having that leadership team means doing a lot of those things and, and innovating and continuing to challenge yourselves. It's really easy because challenge is a really welcome thing rather than something people get very defensive about. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's obviously a great culture that you've that you've created in that because it is like the the, the ideal high performing team, isn't it? You created that environment. You did the psychological safety is already there. So it's it's perfect credit to you guys really. Yeah, it's credit to my team. So I'd love to take all the credit, but the reality is they do all that hard work. They're just, uh, you know, I'm very, very fortunate to, to work with them. And then credit to just the people we have at, at BGSS ultimately, because they engage with that. And they're the ones that, that ultimately do all that hard work that make it easy for us to, to then go and do more. So it's, it's just very fortunate you know we have a, a very high bar and we are very picky about about who we bring into the organization but for good reason because we want to do those things really well we want to hold ourselves to to kind of high standards um and, and by doing that you know we're really fortunate then that it makes everything a bit easier because you just you know you've got the, the quality of people there to do those things yeah i suppose it links back to hiring doesn't it you hire yeah. the right people it yeah. makes the that makes the processes a, a lot easier absolutely yeah 
Um, as you're pulling the teams together, um, obviously you're looking at the right pieces of jigsaw to put, put, plug into the teams. How important is having um, structure and direction for the teams, for people knowing that their, their roles and responsibilities? Does it have to be? Does it have to be rigid in that way so it, it sets off and everybody knows what's expected of and you can depend on individuals to deliver certain certain roles or can it be a little bit more agile or, or, or relaxed? It depends on the engagement. If you had a really light, nimble discovery, say it's like a short three weeks going really trying to get into the depth of a problem and understand it and be able to therefore say this is what we should do next, you're putting in people who are more experienced that they don't need a box, they just need to know this is what I'm trying to achieve. And it's like, right, we know between the three of us, that's the goal and we'll work out yeah. how we get there between us because they're sort of used to working in that way. If you're putting together a massive team to deliver a big project and you've got four or five, whatever it might be, scrum teams working on that and then you've got some kind of oversight layer, you need quite rigid structure there because it doesn't mean you want to quash innovation and don't let teams you know be able to flex and, and work in that way but it would just be chaos if you went right everyone crack on you yeah, know you yeah. need to be able to give people here's how we're going to come together to make sure we're sharing across the piece here's how we're going to report here's how we're going to do you know risk mitigation whatever it might be there's lots of things that will need to happen in the project that you do need that structure for and there's a big difference between you know people think of governance as red tape and stopping you doing what you need to do i think for me we spend a lot of time looking at that and going is that lightweight is that necessary and sufficient is a phrase we often use uh, so that it's adding value and stopping yeah. things get flying over here rather than just constraining teams from getting on and innovating and doing a good job so that's a really tough balance to get yeah yeah okay one of the things that comes across to me i've, I've met you a few, quite a few times over the years you come across as like a really humble approachable individual who's got everybody's sort of best interests at heart so great great team leader and team manager i wanted to go back to the feedback bit do you do you ask for as a, as a leader do you ask for feedback on on, on how you're doing and because i know sometimes you can ask for feedback and in it comes and it's quite you know it's, it can be quite hard to deal with but do you, do you ask for that for yourself as well as for the for the teams and, and bgss as a business as a whole yeah so i think it's absolutely you know most critical in those leadership roles you know you have such a big responsibility that you've got to welcome feedback because how are you possibly going to improve yeah. and how are you possibly going to evolve and develop yourself if you're not willing to hear difficult things um and, and again it's that feedback thing if you hear feedback and don't like it and get defensive and justify why it's not true well no one will ever bother giving you feedback yeah. again whereas if you go oh i struggle to recognize that but ultimately that's your opinion and that's really valid so whether i like it or not that's how you feel that's a really valid thing and i need to work on how i behave or interact with people or whatever it might be so that that's better going forward i think that's it's in such a naturally natural thing to be defensive. Oh, no, that's not what happened. Yeah. It's like, well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Ultimately, it really doesn't. If yeah. someone's come back and that's their feedback, that's how you've made them feel. That's how that. That's what they get from interacting with you. So it's valid. So yeah. you need to then go right. Do I want to behave differently? Do I do I feel like I need to evolve and think about how I behave? So yeah, I think it's absolutely critical. We do we do have formal feedback um, kind of loops in in BGSS, which I think are critical, um, but. I've always worked on the basis of, again, don't wait for a review in four months yeah. to give somebody feedback. We really encourage people to, again, have those conversations. 
it's not a problem, but I, I always prefer someone doesn't find out negative feedback for the first time in a review. Because yeah, it's right, like, yeah. actually, I'd much rather be able to have that conversation with you as an individual and find out and and work on it at the time. Um, so for me, it's about giving people that encouragement to have those conversations and, and knowing that, yeah, it might feel uncomfortable. We don't really like conflict. We're all very British about it. <laughs> but actually, 99% of the time, people will respond well for it. If they don't, okay, well, you at least it's out in the open now and you can move forward from it, even if, if it felt like that conflict didn't necessarily de-escalate. So I think it's really, really important. And again, one of the things I love with my team is they don't ever give me much feedback in my reviews because if they're annoyed with me, they'll have told me way before <laughs> it gets to review. If they want me to do anything differently, and I always ask them in, in, when I'm doing their reviews, what more do you want from me? Because it's a really important part of, 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 of like their own growth. And that might not be that I'm doing something wrong. It might be actually, I just want to get more of this experience. I want to do more. And so that sort of feedback thing isn't always just about negative. It's also about uh, reinforcing the positives and the really great things people are doing and having a chance to go these things were brilliant that you did thing looking at that constructive you know criticism or constructive feedback as to how you might uh, improve but also then talking about what are you not doing that you want to do more of what is that gap and what's that you know uh, pathway you're already keen to progress on and how do we provide opportunities for you to do that as well yeah no that's that's brilliant I know in the past you've said to me quite often that although it might be be difficult 99.9% .9 of the times, once you've had a difficult conversation, it comes out with a, a positive solution yeah. and people are able to move on. If somebody was, I was having a chat to somebody the other week and they were telling me the difference between being nice and being kind mm. when you get, and it, to be fair, like, my bad, it was the first time that, uh, that I'd come across it and I was like, oh, can you educate me on that? Mm. And it's like, obviously being nice, you're trying to please people, yeah. you, you know, you're not giving proper feedback, you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but to be kind and uh, enable that person to, to develop and, and learn and, and well, continually learn and carry on that journey, you need to, to, to be kind. So, yeah. absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a really great. I've not heard that way of putting it, and it is a really good way of putting it. You know, I've heard various similar flavors of like, if everyone likes you as a leader, you're not doing it right yeah. because it means you're not making any hard decisions. You're not making any of those tough calls. You're not you're not willing to address conflict. You're just letting it fester away over here because you you don't want to have a difficult conversation and. It's, it's very difficult because the uh, example I often use is, you know, if I was to say to everyone in my organization, great news, I'm going to give you all a thousand pounds. You'd think, brilliant, no one's going to be, could possibly be disappointed by that. But you'd be amazed. How come they're getting a thousand pounds? I work twice as hard as them. Why are you wasting money on that? We could be investing that. In, you know, whatever you do as a leader, there's always some intent, unintended consequence where you think, oh, I did not think anyone could be upset by that. Yeah. So that, and part of being a good leader i think is being willing a willing to do some of those difficult things because it is ultimately much kinder to have a difficult conversation and try and go with the, and therefore how do we support this to be better yeah um but equally not not you know there's the pride thing there as well and i think it's important not to take that personally and, and understand that sometimes you have got to make difficult decisions but as long as you can explain those to people and be be willing to kind of um, be the 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 face of your decisions then I think people might really respect that. Yeah, definitely. And it's about them respecting it, isn't it? And then being able to move on, you move yeah. on to, to, together. Um, you mentioned one thing earlier, or you mentioned it a couple of times actually about innovation in the teams, um, which is obviously is key to a high performing team. Um, in order to get innovation in a team, often you need the diversity. How do you, 
so we've talked about this in the past from like a hiring perspective how do you ensure diversity within the teams and i mean diversity of thought you know uh, so people are there to sort of challenge and you're getting you're getting different opinions and different aspects it's um do you hire with values you know values-based hiring behaviors-based hiring i've heard of all sorts of different con concepts how, how how do you go about it uh, a value-based hiring is something i'm always a bit cautious of right. um I've seen people do that, but then if your values are the only thing, if you think they're my values and I hire in my image, then it's very easy to um, create very monolithic teams where you don't have that diversity. It's very group thinking. No one else can join it if they don't have any. You almost stop innovation because right, unless you happen yeah. to agree with that status quo, you're shunned and you're not part of the team. There's a fantastic Pixar right. short called Pearl, which I'd recommend yeah. you watch. It's all about basically about knitting balls and they go into work and it's sort of a very laddish culture and Pearl kind of goes in and, and has this choice to conform and be part of that or be herself. And actually, yeah, so it's yeah, a really okay. interesting look at actually you not getting the most out of that person because you're forcing them into this way of being. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of things like, like silly things like, company you have your friday drinks or whatever or yeah. that excludes everyone who doesn't want a drink yeah so how do you make that thing where it's a it's yes you have drinks but also you have activities and different things that anyone can engage with so yeah. for me diversity is in almost every case a really positive thing so how do you and diversity a lot of it comes to, is hand in hand with empathy how do you look at different opinions how do you get people who are going to make you challenge your own views and yeah. you challenge your own thought and innovation comes from willingness to adapt and listen to others and other people's uh, views and that might be diversity in terms of protected characteristics but some of it's just diversity of lived experience yeah. people who've just lived a totally different life to you will approach problems and, and challenges in different ways and that forces you to reevaluate and go God, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. I'm going to take that on board, add that to my my knowledge bank, and reassess my opinion on that. And then, so people think of innovation as AI and excited, but actually, yeah. innovation is you constantly challenging yourself and thinking, can I do that in a better way? What am I learning from, you know, the day to day experiences I'm having as well? And I think diversity is a huge part to play in that. Yeah, and with the continual challenges, everybody's evolving as an individual and getting better themselves, aren't they? And, and I suppose upskilling and, and learning. Yeah. Um, how important is, I suppose it goes into learning and development, how how important is learning and development opportunities within a team? I know I've spoken to you in the past about people having a specific career path that they can move through and they can follow for them to be happy um, and learning opportunities. But I know we've discussed, not everybody wants to progress in their career to mm -hmm. up the ladder, do they? Well, you need certain people in certain places. So how important is the, the L and D aspect in teams? Yeah, it, it's uh, what do you mean by L&D is the interesting. We've had this debate internally 101 times because it's a classic reason people leave organisations ultimately, lack of career development opportunity, yeah. lack of learning and development opportunities. And then when you unpick that, underneath that statement is 7,000 different <laughs> things, you know. Um, yeah. So for me, I guess it's how do you provide a range of different opportunities for people? And I think people really overlook the especially in the consultancy, the learning and opportunities you get on your project, you know, that we're constantly, you know, we, you wouldn't join us as this is the thing you do and there's your box and you sit in that box until you want to move to a different box. Even if you join us at, yeah, join us as a developer, you might get to do 10, 25, whatever, depending on your, your, your kind of what you get, what you work on, but different projects could be different programming languages, could be different industries, 
could be different greenfield versus brownfield versus legacy tech stack there's like 101 different things you can do so there's lots of opportunity to upskill and doing things day in day out you learn a lot more than you're going to learn doing a two-hour course and then and that doesn't mean courses are not a useful way to learn but it's as long as you're going to then take that and use it in your day-to-day so I think it is really important, but it's about part of that squadly structure is us trying to go, how do we give people a conversation that allows us to tailor what that looks like to yeah. them rather yeah. than going, you get four hours to do L&D, jobs are good enough, you go. And yeah. I think that can be a really attractive thing to people going, well, I get that dedicated L&D time, but then we've seen loads of organizations that have that time and people just don't use it. Yeah, Because yeah, it's, yeah. What, why is it meaningful to them? Yeah. Well, they do and they sit there and they do a video and then they never use that, that skill. Yeah. and they've forgotten it by two weeks time so it can be really good that time if you use it constructively but i think it's about getting rounded balanced opportunities for people yeah having different diverse diverse routes and diverse options for people yeah yeah what about i've heard, read quite a bit about reward rewards so formal and informal how important are they i suppose look at celebrating small wins within within a team are they key for team harmony yeah. if you like everyone's different um so for some people that a pat on the back is really really important for some people it's that feeling of recognition for some you know for some people it's monetary for some people it's getting opportunity and i think there's lots of different ways and we sort of try and look at it as a bit of a hierarchy you know so we do lots of things that are about those sort of small feedback loops so we do things like friday shout outs just giving people a great yeah. forum to shout out to your office yeah. this person's really helped me this week this has been fantastic we do town hall awards which is sort of like next step up slightly bigger you, you know you get get a little prize as a way of and again that's voted for by people so it's people going this person's really done something extra this 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 month or this quarter um and then one thing that's been really exciting for us is brand new this year is we've got um BGTS Legends, which is like an annual awards thing. So that's something we're doing okay. first time this nice. year, just trying to see how do we really recognize those people who over a prolonged period have been recognized by their peers as just constantly going over and above and make a bit more of a fanfare of that. Okay. Because um, there's so, it's hard, there's so many people doing good stuff in our organization, <laughs> you know, and it's really heartwarming every Friday, you get this Friday shout out so in Slack and you're like, <laughs> oh, so many people doing great stuff. Um, but you do get some of the people who just again and again, and they they always come up in those shout outs. They come up in town hall, or they're just always there because everyone really values the amount of their own time and effort they give to to things. So, um, yeah, we're just trying that almost like that next layer of that that awards sort of pyramid to go. How do we really recognise the those people that have consistently gone above and beyond? And then that sort of the more formal stuff, and of course just saying thank you yeah the general yeah, yeah. recognition just yeah. encouraging that behavior and then obviously living it yourself and trying to remember to you know if, if a team have done a big go live just go and go by past yeah. and say wow yeah, well done that was, that was really great and i think uh you, you keep doing those small things they all add up yeah definitely definitely sign of a great culture isn't it um, yeah it was nice I get quite a lot is actually teams wanting to show us so like they'll get an email from the client going wow thanks again it's over the line they'll forward it onto the leadership team because they want to share look this we're really excited about this look what what great feedback we've had so they're always always nice to get as well that's brilliant uh, really yeah. good have you I know we're conscious in time so I'll, I'll, I will wrap it up last couple of questions we talked quite a bit about culture and the, the, the really positive culture at, at BGSS. You see it a lot on social media, on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm always amazed at the number of people from, from BGSS that aren't in the, 
marketing team that, that push stuff out um, about what they're doing, the projects and their offices and stuff, which is, you must be doing something right if people are willing to do that off their own back. With, with, with hybrid working, have you found that it's, you had to work as a business even harder on sort of evolving and sustaining the culture because there's that split between, you know, at home and, and, and in person? It's definitely a fabric of the company thing. As I sort of mentioned earlier, right from the start, we're a practitioner founded business. So while we've got you know fantastic colleagues in marketing, you know fantastic people around the business, we've always been a business that believes in getting the people that are really passionate about the thing they do out there talking about it. Yeah. And you know some of that comes from leadership. You know. Um, Rich in my team is chief engineer and Donna put a lot of time into those in, into that events world and into the, yeah, yeah. that thing and it's 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 about giving people opportunity and making sure they see what an exciting thing it can be to be part of that and encouraging them to go. I know you've got imposter syndrome about this, but actually you've got some really exciting stuff to talk about. Let us provide a really safe forum for you to do that and and sort of grow that experience. So we've always had that. Yes, it was way harder in in lockdown because everything was really and. Um, Everyone was just trying to get by and, and, yeah. and survive and, and deal with, you know, kids being at home and everything else. Yeah, so I think yeah. that was much more challenging. Everyone really embraced this kind of uh, online events for a short period. And then yeah, you saw that real, right. like, this yeah. is tedious. <laughs> I'm just sick of turning up <laughs> to an hour long cocktail tasting <laughs> Zoom or whatever yeah. it might be. So you sort of saw that peak of, I'll have anything to do because I'm bored. Yeah, yeah. And then everyone, as, as the world opened up, it really waned. And, and there was that awkward middle period for sure where the world was half in, half out. And it was really hard to know, should I be doing a hybrid event? Should I go all in, yeah. you know, in person? But actually over time we found there's certain events you we're just doing them in person because that's a, that feels like the right thing to do and I guess the fact that we're getting really great attendance shows I think it is a good thing yeah. but how do you still look after people that are not as comfortable being in big crowds so we do things like internal engineering forums and lunch and learns and we'll do them as a hybrid event so you can come from home watch it on, on Teams or, or Zoom and or you can come into the office and do it so yeah. how do you provide a little bit of, of all of that but but yeah it was there was definitely that middle period where we were halfway through both and it's like this feels like really hard work <laughs> yeah yeah a slog yeah and final question tom what's the most important skill do you think as a as a leader of a high performing team <laughs> empathy yeah i think i'd say i think you can there's lots of really important skills communication you know um being dependable building trust all the things but i think ultimately all that comes from empathy being able to look at things from every, other people's opinion other people's um, perspectives being able to put yourself in their shoes being able to make decisions based on trying to take a rounded view of, of how that will ultimately play out or, or different people's experiences based off that decision i think if you don't have empathy it's really really difficult to engage with people to drive things forward to be able to do that in a way that the changes you make are net positive in your organization yeah. so that's probably the one thing i think see most leaders fail with is, is yeah is empathy empathy that's brilliant tom thank you very much because i know how busy you are um it's been brilliant to have you on the podcast and uh, thanks for coming in to see me and spending time with me yeah pleasure thanks Adrian. cheers tom thank yeah. you